So who needs a Bible? We are going to be in this series we're calling Unashamed. We'll be looking in God's Word. Just raise your hand. They can bring one right to you from the back. We have a whole box of them. If you need it, you can keep it. We want you reading God's Word. We believe this is our guide for our faith and our practice, and uh, we uh, see it as our foundation. So you may have one, and I want you to read along with me. You know, it's, it's Mother's Day. Congratulations, mothers. A little, uh, little different at our house because uh, Cindy is actually up in Oregon with our darling daughter who's having baby number three. It's supposed to be today or tomorrow, so um, <clears throat> be adding one more to the tribe and then uh, two more before school starts. So uh, kind of a busy summer, you know, trying to, trying to outguess all the, the, the dates and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we're honoring our mothers. You know why? Well, because it's hard work having a baby and giving birth, and then it's harder even to raise a healthy, productive, faith-filled little person to adulthood. But that's the goal. And that's our goal to do spiritually here at South Shores. I mean, Jesus said when he had all of his disciples together at the end of the story, just before he left the earth, you could look it up. It's in Matthew 28. It's the last two verses of the book of Matthew. He said, go make disciples of all nations. It's called the Great Commission. It's the big command that he gives us. Go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So just like mothers, helping disciples to be born is hard work. And it's harder still to raise a healthy, productive, faith-filled little believer from spiritual infancy to maturity. But that's the goal. That's what we're doing around here. And Paul was about this in his life. He's kind of the guy we're tracking a little bit in the series that we're in because he was headed a certain direction with his life, and then God just kind of interrupted that and said, look at why are you persecuting me, and why not uh, you know, think about what you're doing? And Paul realized he was up against God, and instead he chose to submit himself and to ask for forgiveness, and it changed his life, and he ended up becoming somebody who went to different places to talk about the good news of Jesus, and uh, then they would beat him up and uh, or he'd get arrested and put in prison and so then he would write letters to the people in the churches that he had started and so those were gathered into our bible and in romans 1 16 paul said i am not ashamed of the gospel it's the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes some people are ashamed they know that christ is the right way but they're ashamed especially when they get ridiculed or laughed at or ostracized or or, or cut out i mean i've had somebody say you don't really believe that do you he said well yes i really do and they came back with something like, oh, you know, how jejun, or, you know, how, how uh, simplistic, how ignorant, and uh, something they, they were trying to say, you know, get with the program. Well, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. Listen, if you're going to do that, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to talk. You can't just be a nice person. You can't just uh, be good, a good neighbor. You have to talk. You actually have to share the truth from God's Word with other people using words. Fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ speak up. That's the big idea. We speak up. We talk. We bring God's Word as a way of encouragement into a range of different situations in people's lives. But fully devoted followers need to be first grounded in God's Word. Because the Bible itself is the heart and soul of what we speak to each other. This is it. This is the foundation of what we believe and how we go about putting uh, our worldview together and how we go about following God and how we make decisions should be based on, on the Bible. It's God's Word. And it's true. And it's our guide for faith and practice. That is not held 
widely in the world anymore. For instance, recently USA Today ran an editorial by a writer named Oliver Thomas, and he said, quote, American churches must reject literalism and admit we got it wrong on, and he goes on and names a social agenda. And he says the church has to change its view on the current social agenda and admit that it got it wrong. He's saying the Bible is wrong. The church has got it wrong. He's not saying that we've misread the Bible the last 2,000 years. He says, no, you've read your Bible right, but the Bible is wrong. And he says, churches will continue hemorrhaging members until we face the truth. Being a faithful Christian does not mean accepting everything the Bible teaches. Well, uh, the idea that churches are losing members because God's word is just too hard to follow or too hard to live by, it's really just the opposite. The churches that are strong in teaching God's word and reaching out to the people around them are, are growing. The churches that are trying to water down God's Word so that they can fit in and look like the world around them, they're dying. But Oliver Thomas goes on to say, quote, a great revelation bringing happiness to millions in America, but the church has got it wrong. I mean, this is astounding. He's saying there's been a revealed truth that was not revealed by our holy God from heaven. It's not revealed in God's Word. It's a revelation that's come as a sociological experience. Well, that gives us Christians a big problem because the corner we've painted ourselves into is the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Ever heard of sermons on that? I have. I grew up hearing sermons on that. I still believe it. I've still preached that. It's still the truth. The fancy word for it is sola scriptura, sola scriptura, scripture only. Scripture as the sole final authority for the church. 2 Timothy 3.16 says... In fact, read it with me. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Let's start over. I can hardly hear you. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Historic Christianity says all 66 books that are found in the Bible are the Word of God and are all inspired, that the authors were protected from error by the Holy Spirit. But this writer, Oliver Thomas, comes along and says the Bible contains error, that God's word didn't come down from heaven perfect, he says. And so he's a part of this revolution that's going on in morality in our country and in the world. He says the church needs to get over it or it's going to keep shrinking because we have a new, more authoritative revelation. So he's saying it's new. The Bible was wrong. The church was wrong. We have to capitulate and get on board with the moral revolution. Well, once you abandon the authority of Scripture, you're on a slippery slope. I mean, this article goes on to say, you know, the stuff that Moses knew, we know way more than Moses. He goes on to say, we know, we know way more than Paul. In fact, not even Jesus knew all that we know when he was here. So we need to get on with this new revelation. So he's advocating that Christians do what most of the world has already done, and that is abandon God's word as our authority, our foundation stone, and join the world in being guided by... By what? By what I think by popular opinion, by the, what the prevailing culture tells you it thinks, by whatever feels good. It's foundationless. It will not last. See, here's the thing. It may seem out of style, out of date, but God's Word is true. It is reliable. And God gave us His Word because He wants us to know God. He wants us to know what He thinks. 
He wants us to know the directions he's headed. He wants us to know what pleases him and what does not please him. He doesn't change his mind. He's not flip-flopping between opinions. His word doesn't change. So I'm encouraging you to do just the opposite. Read God's word. Study God's word. Memorize God's word. Engage people in conversation about God's word. Order your lives by God's word. Make your decisions taking God's word into account. Uh, this isn't a new idea with me. This goes way back. The, I mean, Moses wrote in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's back near the beginning of the Bible if you want to read it. But it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. Let's pause right there a minute. You know, <clears throat> what we're saying to teach is God's word, which includes the beliefs that we have that in Jesus Christ and in Christianity. And, and if you're listening to the moral revolution at all, you know that Christianity is under attack. In fact, just this week in California, it was approved to have a new sex education and health education pushed at children all the way down to kindergarten. It was approved unanimously. And you can opt out of the sex education as a parent, but you can't opt your kids out of the, quote, health education. That's really the same stuff. So it says, teach them at home. Teach them diligently the God's word to your children. It says, we talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you'll bind them as a sign on your hand and she'll be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, immerse yourself in God's word. Have it all around you. Have little reminders around you. Talk about it when you're sitting down, when you're standing up, when you're walking. Engage in it in conversation. It's God's word. So our best response to God's word is let more of God's word permeate your daily thoughts and conversations. Not just at devotional times, not just at church. Cindy had this wild idea this year that she was going to listen through the Bible or read through the Bible in the first four months. She only missed by about one day. So she would put it on when she goes to bed at night, when she goes to bed earlier than I do and start, gets to sleep sooner, and then it just plays. She listened to whole books in her sleep. She'd come back the next morning and say, where did I fall asleep? And she'd start over there. So we listen to it a lot of times. Um, but, you know, to permeate our, our thoughts and our subconscious and, and uh, I mean, to let God's word get in you and let it guide your decisions and let it prompt you to quick obedience and let it motivate you to speak up to family and to speak up to church family and to speak up to neighbors and to speak up to friends and to speak up even to strangers. Does that sound scary? Might be. Does it sound embarrassing? Yeah, it kind of puts you out there. You say, I'm not ready. Well, it's time to get ready. That's what we're doing today, to get ready. Last couple of weeks, I went to the skin doctor. They're, they're cutting little pieces of me off a little bit at a time, you know. So <laughs> Anyway, I'm sitting in her office, and there's a book there. It's, um, you know, the most famous doctors in every field, medical field. It's about this thick, and there's a bookmark in it. And I didn't check, but I was sure her name was on that page. And I was sure that, you know, Barb Canoto probably could have written that book. And... Uh, I've gotten all those names together. So I get back in her office. I'm sitting there waiting, and she comes in. And so we're doing a little, hello, how are you? And she says, so what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. She said, oh, my uncle was a chaplain in the Army. I, I think he was a Catholic. And then it's kind of she stepped back and kind of got pensive, and she said, do you know, I'm a good person. I think I'm okay with God. 
Now, I'm talking as an educated person, and she's standing there holding a scalpel ready to cut on me. <laughs> but that statement is not grounded in God's Word. The Bible says nobody's going to get into heaven just for being good. You're not good enough. Or being better than other people. God's word says all have sinned. And sin falls short of the glory of God. It brings spiritual death. And the only people who are going to be in heaven are the ones who have come to the realization and say, I need help. I need Jesus as my Savior. And throw ourselves at his mercy and receive the forgiveness that he, he has bought with his own life and with his blood. And so... I should have been more bold, but she's standing there holding this blade ready to cut pieces off me, and I made a quick decision. I decided, you know what, this is a brand new relationship, and I'm sure I'm going to be back to this office. There will be other opportunities. Well, I don't know that really, do I? So, okay, you can be honest. Who here thinks I chickened out? Because I do. I do. Somebody after the first service gave me and said, look, here's a four spiritual laws. You should have one of these in your pocket. You could be ready for the moment. <sighs> we need to people be people who know God's word and boldly share it with the people who cross our path. Now, I'm going to have other chances this week. You are too. Maybe you don't even recognize the ones that crossed your path last week. But God brings them every day because he wants people to know about him. And he's going to put us in situations that we look at and go, ooh, that's awkward, that could be embarrassing. I'm kind of scared. And there's reasons to push past that. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes. So Paul saw the need for churches as they gathered to have godly leaders. And we need to be guided by God's leader, godly leaders. God gives leaders to the church to equip us to do ministry, to minister to others. So if you look at Ephesians 4, for instance, it says, And Jesus Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. All of those are leadership giftings to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We are the saints. We are the ones called to do the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, that is, to endure a spiritual adulthood. And to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You ever measure yourself next to your mom or next to your dad, you know, as you're growing up? How, how tall? He's saying, take and measure yourself next to the fullness of Christ. What is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? I got thinking about this. Well, it was Jesus' habits. It was Jesus' choices. It was the way he approached life. He had daily contact with God. That's a good idea. He was thinking God's thoughts in his decision-making. That's a good idea. He was using God's word as a way of getting conversations started. He was full of grace. He was full of truth. He was serving others with his life. In fact, he practiced self-sacrifice with his whole life. He came to the point of saying, I've got a plan for my life, and God has a plan for my life, and I'm going to sacrifice my plan to do God's plan. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for mine. And when you realize, well, here's my plan, and here's God's plan. Set yours aside. Go with God's plan. So let me pick the verse back up. Until we all mature 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I think he could have put right there a little footnote that said, America, 2019 moral revolution. Tossed to and fro by the waves, carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, he says, speak the truth in love. We are supposed to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the leaders equip the saints, and the saints do the work for ministry, and it builds up the whole body of Christ so that it's healthy and it represents Christ well in this world, and we do his work together. Well, Paul went on to say that pastors need to stay purposeful and patient and persistent. In with their letter he wrote to the first Thessalonians, he said, we did not seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. This is 1 Thessalonians 2. I guess we don't have it on the screen today, but 1 Thessalonians 2, starting verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul says we were like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. We were like a father with his children encouraging and exhorting. I mean, we disciple people. It's basically like parenting them in the faith. We help them grow up and uh, to take somebody and to bring them to Christ and then to help them grow up in their faith is what we're supposed to be about, be making disciples, growing them up. And Paul had this in his life. He had younger people around him that he actively and intentionally encouraged. He had Timothy that he called his true son in the faith. In fact, he sent Timothy to pastor churches and then he, he would write him letters of encouragement. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he's writing to Timothy and uh, Timothy, I think, I think he was a wimp, really, because, uh, you know, you wouldn't say to somebody, I, I remember your tears or stop your crying unless they were crying, right? And, and that kind of thing. So you see a lot of that where he's, Paul is trying to bolster him up. In 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy 2, verse, chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy's father was Greek and his mother was Jewish, so they were a split family in terms of, of faith. And uh, uh, Timothy, uh, encouraged by his grandmother and his mother, uh, becomes a believer, and Paul comes along and kind of adopts him. Paul has actively engaged with this young person. 
We've been encouraging you to do that here at church too. Just as a, a spiritual discipline, as a way to, to bless the Lord and to the church, to, to take somebody and find them and encourage somebody who's half your age or if you're young enough, twice your age. It's tough being a Christian, being fully devoted a follower of Jesus Christ. And it is tougher in this world, especially if you're young. And many young people have just either walked away from church or never showed up here at all. And they have no connection to Christ or to Christ's body, the church. In fact, Kara Powell from Fuller Seminary and some others did a study looking at churches and why the young people aren't at church. So they looked at 15 churches that were doing it right. And I had this book. It's called Growing Young by Kara Powell and some others. And so I opened it up to review it for this. And it actually says Karen Madero right in it. Karen, this is your book. Here, let me, let me, let me give you your book back. All right. Okay, I'll save you reading the whole book. Here's one of the best things it says, right? If you can't be cool, be kind. Now, I realize with my gray hair, I'm not going to be cool to a teenager. You know, I'm not going to fit in with the teenagers like one of the teenagers, but I can be kind, and you can as well. And to adopt one here at church, to learn their name, to see the same person, whether it's around the donuts or something, and, and to say, how, how do I encourage this young person like Paul encouraged Timothy? I mean... We, we don't really see what's happening in a lot of churches where there just aren't a lot of young people. We are so blessed with Pastor Eric Williams, who now has been our youth pastor for two years. Do you know that today, if it's an average Sunday, we'll have 40 young uh, teenagers in, in, uh, in church today, okay? There were, they have eight defined youth small groups. There were 50 that went to camp uh, last February, and in fact, we're expecting to take 55 up to Hume Lake this summer camp. So that's where we need your help because we need about $15,000 to get them all there. And yeah, kids are expensive. Of course, you knew that before you ever had any, didn't you? And uh, what else are you going to do with it? Leave it in a pile? So uh, you know what I'm saying is to be investing in young people around you and to say, how do I be an encouragement and help them? So that's why Paul wrote in this letter, verse 6, he says, For this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So we're supposed to take these spiritual gifts that God has given us and fan them into flame and encourage the people around us, particularly the young ones, to grow in Christ and to become disciples. Sometimes the hardest place to start that is at home. But God tells us, go and speak his word. And when we do, it changes things. And, you know, the world is not coming to us. Jesus said, go make disciples. We take the good news to them. Well, uh, you know, between trying to figure out when we're going to move to the other campus, which is slippery, and when... We're having three new babies in our family, and so that's kind of slippery, too. You can't really put it on the counter. We're trying to figure out when to go on vacation. So we went on vacation a couple of weeks ago, and I've taken, made the mistake of taking you know, a whole suitcase full of books and then not reading any. So I decided I'd just take one. So I grabbed this book off the shelf. It's called The Present Future by Reggie McNeil. Now, it's from 2003, so it's been around for a little while, but I, I've heard him speak. He's brilliant. He works with the Southern Baptists, helping churches all across the country. And uh, he basically, in the present future, says, postmodernism is upon us. He said, the church in America is on life support and doesn't know it. The church is living off the work, the money, and the energy of previous generations from a previous world order. 
Now, Jesus told his followers, go make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, go make disciples when it's easy or when it's convenient or when it's popular. He just said, go make disciples. And McNeil, I didn't, this is really kind of uncomfortable. I'm supposed to be relaxing in vacation, sitting on the beach, and I'm reading this book, and it's getting worse and worse because here's some of what he said. He said he challenges six assumptions that we hold. Number one, because he says all of these are false. If you build it, the perfect church, they will come. They won't. It's still going to take God's people going out and reaching and caring about people. Number two, growing your church will make a difference in your community. It doesn't unless we're intentional. Number three, developing better church members will result in greater evangelism. Number four, the church needs more workers for church work. Number five, church involvement results in discipleship. Or better planning equals mission effectiveness. Jesus said, go make disciples, and the world needs to know the message of Christ. They aren't looking for it with us. We need to take it to them. So he talks about our self-perception, that we need to move in our perception from saying, boy, I go from becoming a nice person to becoming a Christian to becoming a church member. There, I did it. I'm part of the club. I got my seat in my pew. I've got my coffee and my donut. I've got my Sunday school class. i got my certain friends that I talk to. I'm all set. He's saying we need to think of ourselves as a missionary who's been called to do a particular job. God, Jesus called us with the Great Commission. Go make disciples. Missionaries have a purpose. They don't necessarily fit in. When I was seven, my parents went to Nigeria. And then when I was 12, they moved to a different place. So we moved to Gusau. You've probably never heard of Gusau, but there's about 60,000 people just south of the Sahara Desert. And when we moved there, besides our family, there were two people who were white. They were both nuns from Europe. So there was our family of eight. I don't know why all missionary families have a lot of kids. The, the youngs, where'd they go? They have five. My parents had six. Yeah, maybe you're growing your own little missionary corps. I'm not sure. But anyway, when we got there to Gusau, so there's, there's now eight white people, 60,000 black people. There's a fence around our compound a wire fence, and children from the neighborhood would come and line up along the fence just to look at us <laughs> like we were in the zoo. Some of them had never seen a white person before, you know what I'm saying? And maybe they were hoping for some gift, I don't know, but we were missionaries. We had a message that we, and a purpose. We didn't just meld into the culture. That was impossible. So McNeil says, Member values, church member values, what we value as a church member, clash with missionary values. Because church member values are all about church real estate and church programming and who's in and who's out and member services and member issues. Like, really translated, what am I getting out of church? Versus missionary values are about the street, are about people's needs, are about breaking down barriers, about community issues. Translated, am I partnering with God to do his work to take the good news to him? Well, the days ahead for us, you know, the church isn't just pretty buildings. We're going to have some. And it's not just God's people gathering to sing their particular brand of favorite songs. The world needs to know the message of Christ. Without Christ, there's no hope for eternity. It's serious. So we're excited about our future that includes our new campus someday. There's been a bit of a delay. Rain's one of the excuses. There's plenty of others. Um, but, you know, when we get there to the new campus... The new buildings are simply tools. Jesus didn't say build buildings. He said go make disciples. So we want to use the tools to accomplish the task 
But he was talking to the entire group when he said, you go make disciples. So you don't have to wait for a new campus. You don't have to wait for a new building. You don't have to wait for a new calendar or a new outfit or a new baby or a new car or a new anything. Just make a new priority. I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do with the people who cross my path. I mean, imagine if every church member brought God's word to a believer and a non-believer in the next month. I mean, Jesus became as a missionary of one by himself. Now, it's a whole lot more fun with other people, but he came as a missionary of one. And uh, this world more and more is turning away from church, and we need to take the love of Christ to them. I was reading this week, Evangelism as Exiles, Life on Mission as Strangers in Our Own Land by Elliot Clark. And it's kind of an uncomfortable book because he basically says, you know, most of us were around in America when America was living by Christian values. We thought of it as a Christian nation. And most people in our country were nominal Christians. And so a lot of them would show up for Christmas and Easter and maybe Mother's Day and uh, welcome. And um, he says, but decidedly non-Christian and anti-Christian agendas riding the digital wave are increasingly prevailing. That the day and age where most Americans are nominal Christians is thinning out. That middle ground is disappearing, and either you are for Christ or you're not for Christ. And Jesus said to his followers, go make disciples. So what holds you back? Is it being embarrassed by Christ? You know, oh, if I talk about this, they will think I'm an idiot, or they will laugh at me, or I will be ostracized, or I won't be included in certain things. Well, the Bible in 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, for the, word, the message of the cross is foolishness. Oh, it goes on to say, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The fact that Christ died on the cross for our sin is what gives us the, uh, the open door to be in a relationship with God and to live in heaven with him forever. So, in Jesus talking to his followers in Luke, it's in Luke 9 said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and his holy angels. So that's where you want Jesus saying, I know him, I know her, they're mine. So is it you're embarrassed or is it fear? What will people say? What will people think? Will I be cut out? If I speak, and Jesus answered that too in Matthew 10. He said, have no fear of those who can only hurt you, who can only ridicule you, who can only kill you. No, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What about you? Do you care? Can you help? Help in the birthing process to be that spiritual mother, that spiritual father, that, that help spiritual babies to be born and then to grow up. Uh, it's hard work to raise healthy, productive, faith-filled little believers and to start and to bring them to spiritual maturity, but that's the goal, and that's what Jesus has told us to do. So let's be about his work. Let's stand and pray together, shall we? Dear Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you speak to us. Thank you that we can celebrate this Mother's Day of the people who gave us life and then gave us guidance and gave us encouragement. Thank you. Hopefully they also gave us Jesus. So I pray that we will be those mothers, those fathers to other people spiritually to help them get started, 
Help us to seize, see the opportunities and to seize the moment and to share you. In Jesus' name, amen.